This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Welcome back to With You in the Weeds. Uh, We are working on part two of sadness and grief today. And if you caught our episode part one on sadness, sorrow, and regret, uh, you know that we ended with talking about why feeling sad and grieving is so important because we actually believe that it is God's prescribed way to help us manage the pain of living in a fallen world. In fact, we ended that episode with this statement, sadness is the death of having control over what has happened that cannot be undone. And so today we're going to move forward and talk about how do we grieve? How do we process these feelings? And how do we do that so it ultimately moves us to a place of hope and comfort? So John, are we ready to jump back into sadness and grief with Shay this morning? Yeah, we are ready to jump back in. Good to be with you again, Lynn. And we also have with us our resident pastoral scholar, Shay Roush. Shay, yes. you can say hello to people. <clears throat> hello. I'm a man familiar with sadness and grief, a man of many sorrows. So mm-hmm. uh, it's good I to try- be on this podcast. I yes, tried- our comic relief. Yeah. Yes. I tried singing. You weren't here last week. I tried singing uh, the Soggy Bottom Boys, yes. Man of Constant Sorrow. Yes. It, it's uh, in there. Okay, good. Yeah, but it's not great. But yeah, so we're going to talk about grieving. Um, and grieving is a process that can go in cycles. And it can come in waves and grieving is like a fingerprint. Uh, Everyone grieves individually, but at the same time, everybody grieves the same way. It's, it's a very complicated process um, because everybody's losing something and everybody goes through those common uh, categories that are pretty famous, you know, shock, denial, anger, acceptance. So it comes and it goes. And it's very intentional pain. Uh, You have to willingly enter into it. All other pain just happens to you. Grieving, you have an option. Uh, You can avoid it. You can delay it. But it's kind of like if you put a skunk in your closet at home, eventually you're going to have a problem. And grieving is like that. So we are encouraging people to grieve, uh, as Lynn mentioned. It is God's way to move through the things that we've lost. And it, it enables you to metabolize the emotions of what you've lost and to work with your sadness. Now, it doesn't mean that if you grieve, your sadness is just automatically going to go away. Sometimes sadness lasts a lifetime because you'll always retain the memory of the things you've lost and the relationships that you've lost and that have been hurtful. But over time, as you grieve, the intensity of it fades. It's like hearing a gunshot way in the distance. Uh, You can think, hmm, I wonder if that's a deer hunter 
where somebody's like sighting their rifle or shooting skeet. But if you're right next to the gun, it, it really shocks you. So over time, as you grieve, you get distance on that pain. It's a great analogy, John. And, and yeah, you're right. And not all things are going to be resolved this side of heaven, right? Um, we might have to wait till then, but we're promised that, uh, I think C.S. Lewis says this in The Lion and the Witch in a Wardrobe, or maybe somewhere else. I can't remember, but... but You've said C.S. Lewis, so now everybody's listening. Yeah, that's exactly why I said his name. <laughs> but, but we're promised in heaven, right, that all sadness will work its way backward. And uh, I, I think that's true. So we may have to live with sadness this side of heaven, but, but, but joy is, um, is coming. Yeah, let me jump into this, Shay. In part one, episode one, we discussed what sadness is and the roots of sadness. Today, we want to give you very specific steps to move into it and to move through it. And it's called grieving, and it's good. So maybe we call this the Charlie Brown episode because he was always saying good grief. You know, <laughs> grief is good. So tell us what the five principles are, Shay. I see what you did there with that joke. I, I like it. Uh, good grief. But uh, so there are five principles we want to cover as we've talked about grief. And, and I'm going to cover the first one. And, and the first principle is this, is you have to face the reality of it. Um you have to, in other words, acknowledge what has happened. You know, a Christian oncologist I know of, he deals with specific types of cancers that if you get them, your chance of survival is not very good. And I know that he once said that sometimes the people who struggle with dying the most are, are Christians because they think God is going to heal a loved one who has cancer. Um, if they just have enough faith. Hmm. And, and therefore, you guys, they don't die well. And now, if, that, if you can die well, but um, now, now that's not good theology, right? That if we hmm. just have enough faith, God is going to heal us. And that shouldn't be the case because as Christians, we know that, you know, eternity is to come and uh, there's so much more than this life. But, but let's face the reality of just simply living in a fallen world, right? We're all going to go through pain. We're all going to go through suffering. Um, the death rate is still 100%, right? Last time I, I looked. And well, in fact, huh? Yeah. And research has shown in the last 100 years, everyone who has eaten carrots has died. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great point. Um, as well as donuts. Too. Yes, yeah, as well as donuts. Yeah, it's exactly right. But, but remember this, in, in John 16, 32, Jesus says, what? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And, and so he's just simply letting us know what we see all throughout Scripture is that in this fallen world, we will have hardships. You know, just keep living. that They will come. And so don't be surprised. And, and don't live in denial, Hmm. You know, denial is not just a river in Egypt, John. So, it, yes, uh, yeah, it's a state, it, isn't yes, it? That's exactly right. But, but my point is, is we have to face the reality of what has happened. Um, but then what? Then what do we do? Well, you know, take a look at Jesus himself. Remember when Lazarus, or when Jesus experienced loss, he, he, he grieved. When, when he lost his friend Lazarus, we're told he was sad. Um, he wept over the death of his friend in, in John chapter 11. Um, 
so, so to weep over a loss is a good thing. You know, I did a funeral uh, last week, and, and I saw some men uh, there that I know, and they got up and shared about this loved one who'd passed away. And I, I saw these guys, usually they're very stoic, but I saw them express emotion and weep, and that's a good thing. Hmm. Um, that is a, a healthy thing. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to get into this, but in ancient Hebrew culture, and you see this in the New Testament, um, when people are weeping and wailing at funerals, uh, they would often hire professional mourners to give people permission to cry. Hmm. You know, that's that's know how that. much they valued it. Yeah, that's that's really uh, that's really interesting. Well, and 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 we could go on in Matthew 14 when John the Baptist died. Actually, he was beheaded by Herod, right? And but but he was Jesus's cousin, and um, you know we we can probably assume that that Jesus and John the Baptist had a friendship, um, you know, beyond just John the Baptist baptizing him at the Jordan River. We know that their mothers were friends. And so, um, but, but after John the Baptist, after Jesus gets word that John has been beheaded, what we're told he needed to get away. Hmm. He, he was sad. And the crowds end up following him. They're, of course, wanting things from him. They've seen him do miracles. But but he's grieving, and he knows he knows that he just needs to get alone, and I think process what has happened, and, and so when Jesus himself loses a friend, the first thing he does is he goes away hmm. to be by himself, and, and when Jesus goes to a solitary place, it, it usually means he's going to be to go to be with the Father. In other words, he's going away to pray. Hmm. See, here's my point. There's times when our thoughts are so private, you know, where our sorrow is so intense and we hurt so much that we need to just get alone with God and pour out our hearts to Him. I remember, um, you know, the day, it was probably uh, 21 years ago in November, um, I remember I came home from the church, walked in to our living room, and Lynn was standing there, and she she broke the news to me that my father had passed away. Mm. And that was, it was not unexpected, but it was um, unexpected. And, and, uh, and I just remember when she told me that, I'll, I'll never forget this, it just felt like I was punched in the gut. Hmm. And, um, you know, just overcome with grief. And I actually went outside into her front yard and I, and I just got on all fours and I was just, just there, just weeping hmm. and crying. And, you know, people that were driving by yeah. <laughs> the road probably thought, man, has he lost his mind or what? But I, I just, I needed to get away and just process what had happened. And that's a natural thing. It's a good thing. It's, it's a healthy thing. In our lives. You know, it's good to throw in here, I think, that because we were never designed to experience loss, and in your case, your story, you're talking about death, it has a physiological impact on us. It does. Um, I remember when my dad died, and I wasn't close to him, for about two or three days, I felt like I had the flu, and I was tired for two weeks. And I called a friend of mine who had been a cop in Miami for a long time and saw a lot of death. And he's a Christian and a pastor. And he said, you know, he goes, that's the way death feels because we're not designed for it. So he said, don't be surprised if you feel all kinds of things in your body. 
Right. That's right. That's that's exactly right. But so just to be clear here, so our principle number one is you have to face the reality. You 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 have to acknowledge what has happened in your life. Admit it. Accept it. Right. And now, Lynn, you're going to talk about the second principle. Yeah, those are really great thoughts. And Shay, I do remember that day uh, when I had to break the news to you and just the heaviness and the sorrow that ensued from that because it was unexpected. Um, and John, you're mentioning all of the feelings that that come that are normal, you know, when it comes to death and when it comes to loss. And I would say that leads us into our second principle, which is that part of the grieving pro- process is that we protest it. So yes, we have to embrace and accept that reality. But secondly, we're going to get angry about it. We're going to try to reverse it. And the reason why anger enters the picture is like you said, because we weren't designed for loss. So when loss happens, the natural human reaction to that is going to involve feelings of anger. And so grief is really allowing yourself to say, this should not have happened. This is wrong. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Because we know intuitively that we were made for flourishing. We were made for connection, for, for thriving. And, and so we know that loss and pain are part of this bitter curse that we're under from sin entering the world. And so anger is going to be a natural outgrowth of that. We might also go into blame, which blame has been described as the discharge of pain. It's our pain coming out sideways. It's looking for someone or something to be the target of our hurt. And honestly, maybe mistakes were made by you or others. You know, we talked a little bit about regret in part one and how we live with those if onlys and how we replay things in our mind that we wish we could undo. And and the reality is, is that now there might be irreversible consequences to those choices. Maybe you've encountered evil that has overpowered good and you feel rage, like a righteous indignation over something that has happened. And we're going to naturally protest against that evil. And these are all normal feelings that come with grieving losses. You know, um, sometimes when I talk to my clients about grief, I explain it this way because I think it's a great visual is I'll explain grief is like the convergence of two rivers and those two rivers of emotion. One of them is the river of sadness and the other is the river of anger. And the river of sadness is that feeling of I've lost something that I can never get back. And then the river of anger is this should not have happened. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about those two rivers colliding, these feelings, if we really allow them, if we really, as Shay said, name and acknowledge the reality of what has happened, those feelings are going to turn us inside out. Um, You know, there's a book called A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer. It's been around for a long time and he recounts his journey of many losses. And he refers to this kind of pain, he calls it a silent scream. You know, and if you think about this image of turbulent waters that are stirred up and all kinds of sediment and rock and dirt and leaves and, you know, branches, you know, the water is muddy, it's dirty. But what we know is that as that goes downstream, the water becomes clear. And that's a great metaphor for what we're talking about. Grief is going to stir up 
feelings of sadness, feelings of anger. It's going to be muddy, dirty, messy. It's going to maybe be gut-wrenching as, as Shay described. But as we let it flow through our bodies, as we name it, acknowledge it, allow it, it's going to run clear eventually as it goes downriver. And so these feelings of grief, they have a forward motion to them. So when you feel grief, you're saying, I'm looking at this reality in the face and I'm dealing with it, whatever that it is, and I'm letting it move forward. So the third principle would be to embrace the reality and then to let it go. So here's what we mean by that. Embracing the reality is just admitting, I really want this to be different, but it's really not. Like you're accepting it. This is God's will. God is sovereign. I do have to put an asterisk here though, because not all loss is God's direct will of causing it. Mm -hmm. So if a child gets run over by a car, the most inappropriate thing to say is, well, it was God's will. Exactly. No. Yeah. It, this is an irresponsible driver, perhaps. Uh, it's a broken world. So God is sovereign over all things that happen, but he doesn't cause all things to happen. Exactly. Um, he doesn't stand behind like evil things that happen, but he does stand behind good things. Mm -hmm. So there's a, like an asymmetrical relationship there. I just want to throw that in as an asterisk. So not everything that we experience as loss can be put into this category of, well, I guess it was God's will. Um, when we embrace this reality, we're looking at whatever it is that's happened, knowing that ultimately God's going to like oversee it. And with his loving, sure hand of control, he's going to create something good. But in the moment, just admitting this is not what I wanted. I may not like it. I may not, may not understand it. But in humility, I can accept this. I'm out of control. This has happened. And you can cycle through this multiple times um, and resist it. You, you know, we resist embracing reality. And there are lots of ways to do that. And sometimes we spin over and over and over again until we finally bow to the reality that, okay, it did happen. I do need to accept this. But if not, you can stay stuck in lots of unhealthy ways to try and avoid loss and not embrace it. You can numb yourself out with drugs. You can move across the country and say, well, I just need to live in a different place and things will be different. Change jobs. Um, people have multiple affairs sometimes because they just don't want to accept that this is not the ideal marriage that I imagined. So instead of humbly accepting this is where I am and I'm going to learn through this and grow through it, um, you, you can act out and just have an affair. Uh, but eventually, you will have to embrace reality. Uh, and this is also a very interesting and helpful way to understand why we sin. Many times our sin is rooted in a refusal to accept loss and accept limits. And James addresses this in James 4. Let me just read this real quickly. James says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. And then James gives us an alternative to making sinful choices when we have these things we 
can't have or things happen we can't control. He goes on and he says, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God. Now, James knows that if we obey, we will feel sad. We will mourn. And I want you to notice the interplay that we have unmet needs, unfulfilled desires. In this broken world, we don't always get exactly what we need and what we desire. There are lots of things that if I had more money that I could bring into my life that would cause flourishing, that would be really good. Right. But I don't have the money. Uh, it's a legit need, but I, I don't have the access to it. So I don't get that desire fulfilled or that need met the way I want it to be met. And the enemy comes in and he works on those disappointments. A lot of times he moves us to anger, like protesting, like I should have this. I'm entitled to have this. And we take matters into our own hands. We choose to turn the desires we have into demands. Like we demand these things to be met. This is the opposite of humility. And the Bible is very clear about what humility often feels like when we make these choices to obey God. James describes it. He goes on to say, let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Now, does that not cheer you up today? <laughs> this is a great episode, isn't it? Well, what I'm hearing too is like the letting go when we grab on to the things that are those demands, it's it's the opposite of letting go. It's I need yes. to control. I need to make this happen. I need to kind of play God in this situation. Yeah. And lots of our sin is rooted in that. And if we could look at, well, this is what I want. This is what I desire. And I can't have it. And maybe I can't have it because God says, hey, this this won't be healthy for you. Right. Like right. there's a loss there. Yeah. And yeah. you have to just embrace that. That's the culture we live in, right? And and with with Facebook, with Twitter, with Instagram, we're living in this world where I mean, you know, things on Instagram or Facebook or they've been everything's been airbrushed, right? So mm -hmm. we just put forth our, our our best side. And and so then we 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 look at other people's lives and we start to compare our lives to them. And it creates this envy within us and then yeah. we cycle into sadness. Why don't I have those things? God must not be good to me. And you're exactly right. James is right here that, right, Satan takes a hold of that and 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 uses that in our lives to, to bring about um, our, our lots of our destruction. Our, you know, it's not healthy for us. Yeah. I desire to look like this person and I don't. So I'm going to kill them with my words. And that's all over social media. Yeah. I can give you some examples of this. Uh, let's say I'm single and I'm lonely. I can cover this over by hooking up, looking at porn, or maybe just become bitter through jealousy and envy. Uh, or I can accept I'm lonely. I'm really lonely. And I have a legitimate need and it's not fulfilled. There are lots of ways that we do this. We just don't want to feel the loss of what we can't have, so we take. And that's a very root cause of sin. Now, I hate to be Dr. Downer again, but if we obey God, we will be sad sometimes. For instance, Adam and Eve, had they been willing to be sad? Like, well, 
okay, I can't like be like God. Mm. Uh, we wouldn't mm. be where we are today mm-hmm. in this big pickle. So that's the embrace of reality. Okay. Now the next thing that comes is letting go, letting go of what cannot be. And this is where your reality that you've embraced, accepted and embraced your mind, your heart, your soul come together and you cry. And sometimes we shed many, many tears as we let go. I have a mentor that will tell people who are extremely angry, if you can connect to what you've lost, what you're angry about, and you can cry in the shower for three days, you'll get better. (laughs) There's something about weeping that is healing. Yeah, this sadness leads us to the heart of God and puts us in a place of dependence upon him to maybe not give us exactly what we want or we think we need, but he'll put new things in the place of what we've lost. Uh, Psalm 56, uh, you have taken account of my miseries. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And then he goes on, in God, I've put my trust. I won't be afraid. What can mankind do to me? This is letting go. Um, It's like a leaf falling into a stream. Once the tree lets it go, it moves, moves downstream. And when we enter into sadness, it takes us out of being stuck. But here's something really vital to understand. It's essential to go to God. He lives inside of us. He's, He's our lover, our designer. He takes care of everything. Vital first to go to him, but it's also vital to be able to grieve and let something go to find support from people. I like to say Jesus with skin on because the emotions are so intense. We need to lighten the load of them. And you cut that load in half when when you're with another person. You can just simply witness what you've lost Yeah. without trying to fix it or put a silver lining to it. And I tell clients, this is why God put tear ducts in your eyes. So people can see when you hurt. Yeah. That's interesting. We need other people to help us carry our burdens at times Yeah, when that load becomes too great. Yeah. And that fits with our next principle, uh, the principle number four, which is that we need to let new things in. So during a season of grieving, you will need love, support, and comfort. Like you mentioned, you're going to need people. In fact, you may need people in a way that you've never needed people before. And that could feel scary because there's a vulnerability that needs to come with that. But that's where being part of a healthy church community that can serve as an extended family or sometimes even in place of a family, if, if you don't have family nearby, um, that people can come alongside you when you're hurting and that they can help in those emotional tangible ways, maybe even being part of a support group that has structure and regular meetings, regular points of connection, having people check on you, that can make such a difference in our lives when we're grieving. And so maybe look for a church around you that offers, you know, classes or support groups like a grief share or divorce care, because those are safe and structured places that can help you process loss. And as we're doing that, we are opening ourselves up to new relationships, to new life. Those can have a very powerful impact on you. And so when we have safe people around us in our grief, that does help to ease our sadness. It it, it at least makes it more manageable, right? A, a manageable for you to carry, for you to have space 
um, to bring God in, in new relationships in the place of what you have lost. And so when we let new things in, when we make room for other emotions like joy, um, maybe opening back up to creativity, some people turn to um, art and to writing, you know, poetry, um, writing your story. These are all things that can generate new life. And it's this feeling of, okay, I've been through winter um, and spring is coming. And this could take years. This could, in some sense, take a lifetime, depending on the significance of what you've lost. But as we work on these things, the intensity begins to fade. We get a little taste of comfort here on this earth. Okay, let me jump in. Principle number five is, is we can resist grief, but we shouldn't. Okay. And this is kind of maybe similar to a point, the other points that we've made here, but it, it, it's generally true, right? That we don't like going to funerals and, <laughs> right. and maybe that's fine. I, I'm not trying to be morbid here, but you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we were speaking earlier about the Jewish community and, um, but they also had a time of weeping and mourning for 40 days after someone mm. died. Mm. And I think that that is an excellent idea from a psychological viewpoint. See, for 40 days after a person died, the family would mourn, then life would resume as normal. Now, that doesn't mean that you forget the loved one in 40 days or you don't continue to feel sad, but it does mean that you realize that it's unrealistic to spend your whole life mourning, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have to go on. You know, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time to weep. But there's also a, a time to laugh and dance. See, everything has its time, and sorrow has its time too. So don't resist it. Uh, we, we need to have a funeral, so to speak, a definitive embrace of the reality, or you'll stay stuck in the cycles that we've talked about, a bargaining and protest and, and denial. Hmm. You, you'll stay stuck and, and you yeah. won't move on through it. Uh, and that's where God wants you to go. Yeah. Until the air goes out of that balloon. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. And not only that, you know, as a pastor, I, I think actual funerals are the best preachers. And, you know, I, I do weddings and no one listens to what I have to say in the homily, right? Um, they're focused on the bride and the groom. Uh, no one needs uh, marriage advice, <laughs> right, you guys? But Solomon, again, reminds us in, in Ecclesiastes 4, he says this, that it's better to go into a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Now, I like feasting, right? I, I enjoy a good meal. I like to eat. But funerals remind us uh, of the brevity of life, right? We're all going to face death someday, and they remind us of that. And, and I think that's a healthy, good thing to be reminded of. You know, and I know this is going to sound strange to both of you and maybe our listening audience, but but every fall I like to go and I like to sit in the cemetery uh, of my hometown where I grew up hmm. Be- because it's a beautiful place. It's a peaceful place. It, 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 but, but also, you know, when I see all the people who I knew in my town growing up and they've now passed away, I... I as I think about that, I, I'm reminded of what is important in life. And it reminds me that something is going to be put on my epithet. Hmm. And so what is it going to say? You know, what, what will it be? What is it going to say? I'm not quite sure. Hopefully loving father and <laughs> husband and you love God. Maybe you should write it servant. before you pass on. So. <laughs> 
but but I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. You know, funerals make us focus on what on reality. Mm-hmm. It brings us back to reality. We're we're thinking most clearly when we're at a funeral. Because we're realizing, mm-hmm. what are we going to no- be known for? What are people going to get up and say about us? Are they going to say, well, you know, he was selfish, <laughs> always self-focused? Or will they say he was a servant? Hmm. Um, back to C.S. Lewis. Now I've got everybody's attention. But, but he talked about, you know, the orders of love. In other words, if you love your job more than your family, it, your love is out of order. It's disordered. Hmm. Now, both are of those things, loving your job and, and loving your family, are good loves, but one is higher than the other. Hmm. And funerals and cemeteries and dying remind us to focus our loves on the right things, right? God and others hmm. and the kingdom of God, I would say. So God can use the process of mourning in our lives for our good. Yeah, funerals bring things into crystal clear clarity, like, few other things do, if not unlike anything else. Uh, They really focus our attention. And um, we're not just talking about funerals for the loss of a loved one. When we talk about loss, we're talking about all kinds of loss. And we may need to have funerals in our heads for lots of things. Uh, For instance, a funeral for the marriage you thought you would have, but that you don't have. And I see this in clients all the time just a demandingness and a bitterness because this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I wanted. In a broken world with two broken people, you're going to hit spots like that. So the way through it is to grieve the loss of what you think you're entitled to or what you thought you were going to get and move on. Grieve the loss. And as hard and as painful as this process of grief is that we've been describing, this is a good process. And it's important for us to enter into it. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And so we have that promise that as we go through these steps, that we will be comforted by the spirit and we can receive comfort from people around us who love us and who are in the weeds with us. And we also have the assurance that we'll be comforted in heaven. And I love the verse Romans eight eighteen that says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is a hopeful promise for our future. Yeah, the overall story of Scripture is God's promise that sadness is not the end of the story. He promises when we're finally with Him, there will be no more crying, and no more sorrow, and no more pain. And maybe this is why there is a close correlation between sadness and joy. We like to be moved, and sadness is a moving emotion. Just think of how moved you are when you see a really sad movie. Although the emotion is sadness, you enjoy the story. Why? Because the sadness moves us and points us to a larger story that has a homing signal within us. We're made in God's image. It points to the story of redemption. Sadness moved Jesus, the man of sorrows, to give his life for us so that he would have the joy of being connected to us. So I'll end with quoting a secular researcher who said this about sadness. Sadness is not wonderful. It's important, and we need it. Sadness and grief are God's first aid kit in this lost world. It helps us accept our losses and moves us toward connecting to new things, new relationships, and ultimately to our loving Father who makes all things new.
And that's why Christians can grieve with hope. That's comforting. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.